Firstly, would you like to give a whistle-stop tour of your career, a brief introduction? A brief introduction. So, yeah, Janneke Schopman, as, as, as people say all over the world, but in Holland they do say Schopman. So, um, yeah, I've been player for the national team from 2001 till 2010, kind of, and, uh, yeah, experienced a lot of uh, great successes with the, with the Dutch team as well as with my club team. Then in 2010, I transitioned into coaching. I did that before. I was a coach of the U18 team. And then I worked with one of the Hoofdklasse clubs for four years, then transitioned to the USA, first as the assistant coach of uh, the women's national team and the head coach of the under-21s. Yeah, now I'm in India. So after that stint, um, I joined the Indian team actually almost a year ago now, which been a, which has been a crazy year. But uh, but I'm still yeah honored to be here. Um, that's basically my hockey career. But you know, once upon a time I was also uh, an engineer and uh, working in construction uh, from yeah 2005 after graduation till 2014 when it kind of. You know, the coaching job made me, yeah, choose, basically. I always used to do both. I was playing and coaching and working, and now I'm just coaching. So, yeah, it's a good choice, though, so far. One of the things that I'm I'm quite interested on is there's certain cultural stereotypes around the Dutch, and there's probably also some some stereotypical characteristics you'd associate with people who en- who are engineers. How do those two influences contribute towards your style of coaching? I guess I I always have a thirst for knowledge and I want to know why. And uh, as a player, I was was the same. And as a coach, I always want to do, you know, the analysis and, and, and understand a little bit more about, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And I think, yeah, that comes from from my engineering background as well, where you just curious about you know how how do, does this actually stay up and how does this going to work um it's always nice to think think about it and and uh you know i like challenges and 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 like coaching is so much less that you can grasp really what works and doesn't work um so so that's a little bit uncomfortable being someone that likes to to see the right side of things or the wrong side of things but i think yeah it just made me yeah like i said have a have an appreciation for the coaches and that i've that they've been coached by and that also have a lot of knowledge and understanding and uh yeah i think my background helps in that case that you know if you are a good people manager I might like you as a coach, but I think I've, I'm quite forgiving as a player. I was also, and when someone knows what he's talking about, then I don't really care about the message, basically. And that's that's kind of my engineering background, I guess. Excellent, thank you. Right, we'll, we'll move into the questions, and again, we might sort of veer off in different directions. So, the first one from your experiences: How is the game changing, and where is it going next? Yeah, it's so interesting. I think um, the game is so much quicker and and, and more skillful. I think if you look at uh, the women's game, that's always a little bit behind the men's game. But in 
a different sense, like the high ball is a good example where I think, you know, a couple of years ago, not not every team had a high ball over 50, 60 meters, not in women's hockey anyway, but now every team can do that. And it just changes the game massively and it means you have to adapt. I think players are so much more skillful uh, and, and the decision making just needs to be yeah, quick, 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 because the game goes like this. And uh, I think potentially that that will develop and keep continuing. I think it's it's going to be exciting and and players will will test the boundaries, I'm sure. What new things do you think are going to emerge in the Tokyo Olympics, particularly in the women's game? Do you, th- do you think there's any trends that are going to suddenly go, ooh, this is giving us a performance edge? I'm not sure. I think like, you know, you know, you see the trends follow, follow one after another. A lot of, a lot of teams started playing half court and then everyone plays half court and then Dutch men and the Belgian men started playing high press. Again, you see G, GB doing that as well in the women's game. Um, so it's like, yeah, a con- continuous changing of like, what are we actually good at and can we, explore this and I think more and more teams will just look at themselves and say look I'm really good at this so I'm just gonna explore that part of my game a bit more and maybe not adapt as much to to the other teams but that's just my guess and maybe also my hope because I I think you always should play from your own strengths and and build on that. In terms of playing from your own strengths what would the process be that you would work with a team in terms of analyzing and identifying what those strengths are? Well, I think it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I, of course, worked in Holland and then went to the U.S. and, and now working in India. And culturally, there are bigger differences, although in the end, it's still women's hockey. It's still a group of women that want to play this sport. But you do see the affinity that 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 certain people have or the country has uh, uh, the physicality of the game is just something in the US that the, that the players pride themselves on and rightfully so and I'm not talking about being like physical but more in terms of physical fitness and and the ability to just pressure another team the whole entire game regardless of the outcome I think uh, being in India, they have tremendous skill and I've never seen a team shoot so well uh, in women's hockey. It's like, yeah, don't give them a chance because they will will score a goal and our goalkeepers sometimes have a very unthankful job. And, and then you have Holland where, you know, they're quick to adapt and they do so many things just naturally. And it's not natural, natural but you know they've learned it over the years of playing so many games and but they're so flexible and they adapt and they pl- adapt their playing style so i think yeah you know you really have to look at what kind of group of players you have what do they want and are they comfortable with putting that out on the field and if you can get them to believe in that their strengths and of course you work on everything but then i think you know you you get a you get a pretty solid uh, performance Quick one, zone or man-to-man, and why? I can say it depends on the situation, which it definitely does, because in the defensive circle, you have to play man-to-man. But I would say zone, because the simple reason is I was a defender, and if you play man-to-man, you're always a step too late if you get it wrong. And if you play zone, I think it's a lot harder for the attackers. So it's about being proactive as a defender and being 
in control of the situation instead of reacting to the opposition. Yeah, and I think I think there's also skill to playing man to man, and 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 I think. Uh, Maybe, maybe being Dutch and not necessarily being lazy, but positioning yourself in the right spot uh, has has certain advantages rather than running with your player the the well not the whole entire time. But I think um, yeah, from personal experience, when you can put your team in the right spots, it's really hard to play against a good zonal defense, and the ability to read the game plays a vital role, of course. But but yeah, so that that has my preference and pure purely personal as well. It's interesting. There's been certainly in the in the men's game, looking at Belgium, who are just outstanding. The introduction or the implementation of a lot of deep zone defence around the circle, which for me I would find very very uncomfortable. How, what would your feelings be? You said obviously in the circle, man to man. So how would you go around? Well, again, it has to do with your your strength. And I think, um, I I don't know enough about the Belgian men. I mean, I see them play, of of course, but I know Australia women did the same in their high uh, highlight years. And and I used to play them just after. And it's tough if you are so in tune with each other and, and you can play off each other's left foot and move as a unit. I think if you spend a lot of time doing that, you can definitely make that work. I think... The risk is that, you know, you give one striker half a centimeter and people are so skillful these days that, yeah, they can manipulate space. And then and then I think that's just higher risk than, than when you would play closer man to man. As a defender, what would you're talking about taking position off left foot. What would your in-game communication look like when you were playing zone? Well, I think, you know, I had a quite a unique... Partnership, I would like to call it with, I mean, I played like, well, like Arthur van Doorn kind of played with Belgium, is playing with Belgium. I played in front of my defense, but at the same time, when we would transition into defending in our own 25, I would actually start marking and the, the, our central defender who was doing the marking higher up the field or would then step because she had an incredible ability to step to the ball and, and put pressure on the other team. And, and for me, that is just it. It's just understanding where does this other team want to go? Where do they want to attack? Can we actually prevent that from happening by playing zonal? Can we keep them to a side? Yes or no. Can we step? Can we put more pressure on? And I think the art of defending is it's, it's tough and it's getting tougher. Like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, everyone was talking about channeling and like it's impossible right now because channeling just means you let people run into the circle and they have so many skills. So you have to change your defensive game. And for me, can you influence the game? And I think when you play zone and you put enough pressure on the other team, you can influence the game and you can win the ball where you want to win it. And for me, you know, that's kind of like, yeah, making the players understand, okay, why are we doing this? Okay, great. So we want to win the ball there. Fine. Play with that. Put more pressure. Close your left foot, yes or no. I don't really care as long as we're on the same page. And that's what I'm trying to, to teach them. Do you feel indoor hockey is an important development tool for players? Either way, why? Yeah, 1,000% yes. Uh, I think indoor is a, is a great game. And, and I think since it's back to five-plus goalkeeper, it's, it's, it's a good game again. I didn't really like the hockey fives when it was that. 
Um, I think tactically you can make, uh, you can learn a lot, but it's more, again, decision-making under pressure. It's like small space. You have to just be quick on the ball, making decisions. And um, yeah, I think it's a brilliant game. And I, and I, you know, encourage everyone in Holland when I was coaching there just to play it. And I think it's also fun, you know, it's just like a little bit different and uh, yeah, I think it's it's great for your skill. It's great for your decision making. Do they do much in India? Because I, I have this thing like Indian players have amazing hands. They'd be insane indoor. Maybe the difficulty to get low defensively, it's probably not as natural, but I've never seen... Yeah. Well, I think um, we we had a also during lockdown we had an uh, indoor workshop from the Asian Hockey Federation, and it was a lot about how can we create more opportunities to play indoor in countries like India, China, uh, you know, Thailand, even Malaysia. And I think it's just a matter of doing it. And right now the priority is just not there and it's not like culturally ingrained like it is in Germany or it is in uh, Eastern European countries where you have to uh, or in even African countries where it's too hot to play outside. So it's like, um, yeah, I mean, I've asked after this workshop, you know, what is the plan? I I think it's good. I think you should use it as a development tool and it would be great for a development team and uh, we're working on it, but you know, it's like, it doesn't have priority because outdoors has the priority and it makes sense because, you know, India is a big country and there's so many opportunities to play outdoors that, you know, it makes sense that the girls want to focus on there and the boys also. Reflecting which mistakes that you have made in your career have been the most valuable and why? I mean, I, I, I did think about this for a bit and, 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 you know, there's mistakes I made and it all comes back to, to two things, basically. One is doing things that you don't really fully are behind and you do them because you think that that's helping someone else or maybe it's for the better of, 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 of something, not even necessarily the team and, in hindsight, it was never good for me. And in hindsight, it was also never good for someone else. And it's just like forcing yourself in a direction where you don't really want to go. And uh, as a coach, I think I learned the most valuable lesson uh, in 2018 when um, we were preparing for the for the World Cup with, with the U.S. And for some reason, I got really far removed from who I am, what I stand for as a coach, what values I think are are very important. And I just kind of lost that, I think. And, 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 and afterwards, when I did my own evaluation, I looked at it as like, it's, it's, it's painful to see how far I got removed from why I actually started coaching, what is important for me and how I lost some of my core values in the process. And from that moment on, I, I decided like, you know, I, I'm just gonna learn, but also I need to be able to do it in a way that I can, yeah, I can do it because otherwise it's just not good for me. And if it's not good for me, ultimately it's not good for the team either. It's so important to be authentic as a, as a coach and as a person, because you're presenting yourself, aren't you, to a, to a group of people. Were you able to identify what those drivers or pressures were that created that change? 
Well, you know, in, in hindsight, it's like, I'm also like, I, I am a hard worker and, and I've got far in, in, in anything I, I do because I just do it basically. But, but like, I also had this mentality of it's, it's fine. I can just handle it. And, and I'm, I'm not so good in asking for help and, 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 and opening up and then saying, look, I, I, I can't do this by myself. And I think we, we had a great sports psychologist from the USOPC who worked with our team uh, from the start of 2018. Uh, and, and, and Peter, he, he was just such a help for me because I could, you know, bounce stuff off of him, kind of understanding more about, you know, what, what this group needs, what do I need and where, where do we get? And as a result, I, I've become a lot calmer as a coach, a lot less frustrated at times. And um, he's a big advocate of mindfulness. And right now I'm a big advocate of mindfulness because I, I really think that it's something that keeps you, you know, it's okay that you feel shit. It's fine. You're, it's okay. You, you're scared, but, but think about why this is, and then don't try to get away from it, but just try to understand it. And again, the engineer in me understands that needs for, for getting it. And, and I think that's more it. I realized what happened in this reflection, in this analysis of myself and said, it just can't happen again. And if that means that, that players don't understand and yeah, I have to take that risk to be honest. And I have to make decisions that they might not like. And I, yeah, I still stand by them. And I think after that, I, I, uh, yeah, I had, I had, a yeah, a tough time, but also a good time where, where this group of women, young women actually decided to give me the benefit of the doubt yet again. And, and I think we had a good run in 2019 and unfortunately didn't, didn't qualify. You've got experience of both leading programs and being an assistant. How, um, when you're talking about being being your authentic self, how, how do you do that when you're not in complete control? No, I, I understand actually. Like for me, it, it's tough because I have an opinion uh, about pretty much anything. If you, if, if you would ask anyone I, I work with. You're, you're done. Uh, so. yeah. No, but, but I think for me, the key question I'm asking myself before I become an assistant uh, is do I trust this coach? Do I respect him enough to, to, to work with him or her? And I've worked well, right now is a great example. I I, I trust Stuart completely. I, I respect him a lot. And the nice thing about working with him is also he gives me the ability, uh, yeah, the opportunity to just put my own so, own sauce on it. You know, he's not like checking up. He gives me a lot of responsibility. And in the past, it happened at the US. In the past, it happened with the Dutch under-21s as well, where, yes, I'm the assistant, but I get this job that I feel completely comfortable with. And my my rule number one is I have an opinion. I give it to the head coach. And if they do something with it, they do something with it. And if they choose not to act on it, that's also fine by me. But I just want it out there and want to have it said. And sometimes, especially, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, some sometimes another staff member says, I can't believe you say all these things. And it's like, well... But I really feel it that way. So I feel like I have to voice my opinion. And I think 
you know, Craig, Short, Raul, I also worked as an assistant under, they're completely fine with it. They actually appreciate it, in my opinion, because, you know, it's just a different voice, a different idea, and and they go with it or they don't go with it. But but for me, it's it's a great working environment. I think that, that, that divergence as well of, of lenses through which you see the game does strengthen the ultimate outcome. When you were leading the programme, how did you give space for assistants to do that? That is and was my challenge, uh, I think, because, you know, I'm like, it, it almost goes quicker when I do it myself at times. But I think um, the last year at, at the U.S., as my last year as the head coach uh, in, in my, my tenure, I think I, I, I did pick up uh, on, on some things and I would, I would always give my assistants the space on the training field. I just ask you to do uh, a certain topic or theme and I'm not checking up on you. You're doing your own thing on your own exercises. And, and we discuss, of course, uh, but yeah, in my last year I had, I had a great assistant who was so very different than me, but he was comfortable enough to, to tell me what he thought and he saw and he was, yeah, and unfortunately uh, Larry passed away, but he was, he was my friend and he was so good in listening and, and actually asking questions to the players, to, to me. And it worked brilliantly where I was sometimes a little bit too direct. He would always kind of flip the coin and say, have you looked at it from this perspective? And, yeah, for me, it made me realize I can give people space. Um, I want people to get to also grab their space instead of, you know, I like initiative, honestly. I worked in construction. I was a project manager at one point, And one of the colleagues I worked with said, you never check up on me. And I'm like, no, because you have to do this job. And I know that in two weeks, I expect the result. And if you don't know what you need to do, you come to me. Fine, but I'm not going to look over your short. I hate that when people do it to me. So I, I'd like to give people space, but take the space. And I've learned that not everyone is very comfortable to do that. And that's my learning where I have to say, okay, maybe I have to help people a little bit more learning to take initiative and learning to, you know, step in the spotlight and say, I'm going to do this. What is the best motivational environment you've created? And why was it special? It's always hard because I think, did I create it? I think it's a, it's a combination of factors, really. And I've been part of very, very good environments, I would say, when I was a player, but also coaching. For me, it's, it's, it's a sense of unity that you as a team create where people are comfortable being themselves. And the best example I have is, like I said, after the World Cup in 2018, we obviously got eliminated in pool stages, which is what we didn't want. Then we had a rough transition with, you know, people retiring. And with some of the more experienced players, I felt like I, yeah, we had to start over and we had to create this, yeah, culture or environment that everyone was part of. And I always say not everyone is equal, but you have to treat everyone fair, you know, because people are not equal. And I felt like, yeah, we went on a three-day uh, team retreat, I called it, where it was emotional. It was talking about, you know, what, what happens with people 
what is actually happening. And I feel from that moment on, we had we had an environment where you can hold on to. And I think the best example of that was that the first Olympic qualifier, we of course lose uh, 5-1 against India. And you, you pretty much know, you know, consciously that's never going to happen. But we we there were no blaming no accusations and the girls were ready to to hit the ground running again we and and, and that was so impressive to me and and we we stood up and they said we're going to do this and we came so so close and of course it didn't work and but th- that to me was yeah a testament to to them wanting to do it together and i think that as a staff you might create the environment but at the end they have to do it and and they did and then that that made me feel yeah, very proud at that moment, even though it was one of the shittiest moments for them and for me, you know, in your in your athlete's career. If you could replay one moment in your career, what would it be and why? It's so easy to say, but I'd probably say nothing. And I, and I say nothing because, like, for me, everything happens for a reason. And, yeah, you can say, yeah, what if, what if, well, what if. Like, we lost the Olympic final in Athens, and maybe we shouldn't have. But everyone was talking next four years when you had an interview about, you know, making up for that lost medal. But to me and to the team, it was never about that. It was about a new medal and a new opportunity. And I think it put me in a position where I learned something and you know I think it's more on a personal level like uh, my mom passed away suddenly and and yeah I you know did I say the things I needed to say to her no but in the end I also know she knows and for me it's so difficult because I'm like it's not the way so I actually am very simple in that way it's just move on learn and grow if you could pass on one piece of advice to others, what would it be? Well, you, you said about being authentic and being yourself. And I think that that's a key, key quality. And, and for me, I always used to say, um, if you make your own decisions, you always make the right one. But you have to choose yourself, meaning I'm making this decision it's fine. And in the end, it might not turn out the way I planned it to be, but I can live with that, you know, because it was a conscious thing. I made it. And that's what I really believe in. And I think some people are afraid to do that. And not only in sports, but just in life. But I think, you know, everyone makes mistakes. And to me, it's not about making mistakes. It's about what happens after. And, and for me that, yeah, that's why I'm, you know, well, regrets, of course you haven't, but they don't linger too long for me because you make a decision and that's what my regret is when I didn't make decisions and I let other people too much dictate and decide for me. And then your life goes out of control to unknown forces. And that's, that's a shame. I think. Who has been influential in the development of your career? There's so many people, honestly, and, and, and I think two people stand out, maybe three. But Mark Lummers, he was, he was my coach. He, he picked me for the national team when I was 24, so I was quite old. 
he was extremely knowledgeable. And like I said before, for me, he was in, innovative. He was a great field coach. And, you know, he was always challenging and pushing and thinking of new stuff. Um, so that was always interesting for me. And, and he did a lot of things that I was like, yeah, that, that's interesting. And, and the other person is, yeah, Peter, like I said, the USOPC sports psychologist that I have gotten to know really well. And his perspective has been so valuable for someone that is so passionate about certain things. And it, it just has given me time to breathe, honestly, that I needed and to create perspective for another view than my own, basically. So if you were to, um, to go to talk about Mark, what specifically have you taken from him as a coach and then implemented into your own practice or your environment? Well, it's funny because he used to say to me, and especially later on as well, I mean, we, we would run into each other. He would say to me, you know, you can learn two things from, from coaching, from coaches when, when, you're, when you're still playing. It's like, how do you do things and how you don't do things? And you can also think, well, I'm not, never going to do that. And I think he, you know, like I, I loved his energy. Honestly, I loved his energy and, and the way he was always prepared. And he was so busy with, you know, what can we do better? Did I think he went overboard? Yeah. Did he? Did I think that he sometimes didn't really understand us? For sure, because he had no clue, you know, about what was going on in, in our team. But like I said, I, I was kind of forgiving for that because I didn't really care so much. And if you would talk to some of my teammates, they say, well, that's because he liked you. But he was tough on me too, you know. He, he would say, like, before the Olympics in Beijing, came to me and Minka, you know, we played in the back. And he said, if you think you can hit one long ball on this field, you can think again. And if you're trying tomorrow in the first game, you can come and sit on the bench. And we were like, okay, well, that was helpful. Thank you. And and we went on our way, but that was his way of motivating us. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't, you know, it's, but I, I think his, yeah, his perfectionism almost like the energy, I think it's so important. You can always say you have to get your own energy as, as a player. And I, I agree. You have to make your own exercises fun and training fun. And I think fun is so important to, to excel and, and, but he created that environment for us. And that's something I always am trying to do. Too. Yes, we need to learn. But yes, we need to challenge. But also, there needs to be this exciting thing that, yes, let's go because I want to go, you know. And, and yeah, that, that he had always. Fun's um, a really in interesting word. And it's kind of in vogue as well for coaches to, to be talking about fun. But it looks different to different people and at different tiers of, of the game, fun means probably different things. What would you describe fun as? How, if you could unpick that as a word, what would it look like? What would it feel like? Well, for me, again, and, and, and like, and this is kind of like who I am, I'm a, I'm a coach that I probably as a player would, would, would have liked to have because I get bored. I got bored very easily as a player. So if you're going to give me the same exercise over and over again, I'm like sleep, falling asleep. And I can still train hard because fine, but I don't think it's particularly entertaining. So for me, fun is like you build this environment where there's a challenge. You have to put yourself out there and it's 
not like so easy, but at the same time, it's every time a little bit different. So if you want to improve passing or you want to improve, I don't know, scoring, you put these things on, on the field, uh, game gameplay based perhaps, but it's more about, I tweak this, I tweak this. And all of a sudden it's always the same, but it's a little bit different. And you create this where they want to do more and they want to do more and they don't want to stop. And, and, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm always trying new stuff. And, and like last week, I've asked some of the players because we had small groups. I said, what do you want to train? And they were like, well, I want to train connecting with my teammates without talking to each other. So it's like, well, that will be an interesting one to de- design for myself. So, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm putting it out there. And yeah, and sometimes I'm like, yo, this didn't really work. But, you know, other times, you know, the girls are really like, yeah, can we do more? I want to keep going. And and for me, a high-performance environment is already so demanding and you have to work hard. And to be honest, all the teams I've worked with work really hard. But it's so much easier to work hard if you understand why you're doing it and there's an incentive doing it and it's actually kind of fun doing it. And if the challenge is too high, of course, it's not fun. But at the same time, if someone else can do it, well, why can't you? And that's kind of like for me, it's, it's like this whole thing, this ball of fun, you know, it's... It's not easy, it's hard, but it's still something, yeah, I want to keep going. Okay, that's a good thing, if that makes sense. Can you summarize the key points of your philosophy or approach and have there been any key moments that have helped shape it? I've been fortunate enough to be become part of this uh, coaching and learning education uh, program in the U.S. with, with other USOPC coaches and they really took you step by step through your coaching philosophy and that made me think and tweak and then, you know, talking about your values. In the end, for me, my philosophy is like hockey is just a metaphor for life. High performance sport hockey is a, is a metaphor for life and I'm trying to help these girls, athletes to become better versions of themselves on the field but also off the field and later in life, I want them to have, you know, this backpack full of things they know and, 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 and that they can be themselves and they know what they're good at and they are not afraid to step up and say, look, I want to do this. I'm going to go for it, regardless of some consequences that might be frowned upon by, you know, the more conventional style. And that's what I'm trying for, that, you know, they they find that, inner potential that inner burning fire and it's out there it's on the hockey field but there's also other stuff there and whether they want to be working in 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 a charity or they they just want to be a housewife I don't really care as long as they know that that is what they want to do and why they want to do it and they they stay so true to their core and and they develop as a person you know they 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 just create more knowledge about themselves and and become this yeah great individual that's in there and they already are half of the time so not so much work to do right so Tokyo how has COVID impacted the the preparation what adaptations have you had to do in the environment I think the toughest part for us as a team and not even for myself I think more for the girls was that we had a whole period in 
in March, April, May, June, that we were in lockdown and we were here on campus and we were safe, but we weren't allowed to train. And the girls weren't allowed home. And and then, you know, you're you're just together and you know, that was just tough. And you can say, oh, did it cost us yes or no? To me, we did other stuff. And I think they they found amazing ways to yeah, to keep themselves busy. Uh, they started the the charity. Uh, we did an exercise every day and we give 100 rupees for, for the people that are starving. And, and, and the girls raised, raised a lot of money. And they did that for two weeks. We kept ourselves busy off the field, asking questions uh, about, you know, tactical stuff, watching other teams. I think that we've done amazing, honestly, these last months, being away from home, being away from family, We've now been here since August something. So we've been here almost, well, August, yeah, four, four months. Um, and we've trained, we were able finally, in the beginning, we were not allowed to train still, but now the last couple of weeks, we're, we're back in full physically. They're, they're very good. They're looking good. But also we're making so many steps playing and, and mentally. I mean, they're tough. And I think that's, if anything, it, it showed me that they can do a lot more and, and they can do a lot more than they think themselves as well. And, and it's just a matter for us as coaches to, to keep telling them that they're, you know, they're up there. And, you know, I, I, have, I have a good feeling about how, how we were able to do this as, as a group of people here. And then thanks to, to of course, uh, the help we've had from, from Hockey India and Sai as well, where... They created this environment that allowed us to stay here as well. What's the build at now look like for you as a group, both staff and players? It's it's funny. It's like still an unknown. We're we're looking to see if we can travel in early uh, next year. So we have a three week break now, and then yeah, we're there's an Asian Champions Trophy scheduled now in in April, which which will obviously be a good one for us to to finally play a competitive game. And then we, yeah, we're, we're looking in building a program where we can manage playing games. So to see where we are and at the same time also, yeah, have enough time to train as a team because, you know, also having experience playing so many games in pro league, sometimes it's just hard to manage both and keep your physical and mental well-being up there. So I think that will be the big puzzle for us, but. It's looking okay, but, you know, you never know <laughs> with COVID and what's going to happen. I, I think, you know, everyone is hoping that it's, it's, it's going to go away sooner than later. And I'm just like, you know, whatever happens, happens, and we'll deal with it. And we don't play a game before the Olympics. We don't play a game. And if we do, perfect. But you know what? We know what we're doing. We know why we're doing it. And, and we believe in it. So how do you think, you mentioned the Pro League, how do you think the Pro League has impacted the development of international women's hockey? I think I can only speak for my experience coaching US and, and, and for them, for us then, it was just an amazing opportunity where, like I always say, in Holland, you're so lucky because you play high-level games every week on Sunday. And, and, and the game teaches you so much things, mentally, tactically, skill, everything. And when you're not, privy to that environment then you're waiting for these international games and yeah it's it's tough because you can do a test series and, and you play games 
there's nothing at stake. Whereas Pro League, yeah, it, of course people use it, but it's it's like it's out there. You have to win. Uh, points for the world ranking are at stake, and I thought it was brilliant for us. I mean, in terms of all the other stuff, I don't know, but in terms of just purely playing those games, I think it was very good, very good for the development of, of, of countries that don't have the luxury of playing high-level games every week. And it's great to watch, just because there's really good standard available to watch all the time, which, I, with, yeah. which I've enjoyed. I thought it was amazing as well, the FIH made them all available for free during lockdown. I think that was fantastic for people to be able to just access it, really. Yeah, and the same here. I mean, we, with the girls, we we watched uh, we watched the uh, Holland versus GB games, and you know, it's just like fun, something to look forward to. And like I say, I think hockey is such a brilliant sport, honestly. And I'm yes, I'm biased, but I keep telling people. I mean, more people should actually watch it to know what it is. And I'm talking about a country like the US, where there's so many people, and all the people that watched it for the first time, they absolutely loved it, but they don't know it. They don't really know it. And they don't see the high level. They don't see the men play. And it's, I think, yeah, it's, it's such a fun sport to watch. It's exciting. So yeah, I agree. The pro league uh, gave us something throughout the year, which is quite nice. If you're a hockey addict, huh? What have you got on the rest of the day? You're on the pitch? 6 p.m. now. So um, just have to gather some things and, uh, then we have dinner, team dinner at seven, and uh, that's it for today. We played, uh, we we had a hard session today, so the girls were a little bit tired. But uh, yeah, we played junior teams as well, so that's nice. Get some some action. And with your role in the seniors, do you see any of the junior international teams? Well, the under twenty one groups are training here as well, yeah. uh, but right now they have kind of a similar schedule, so it's tough to 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 do both. We have two fields here. Um, but yeah, I mean, now we play them. We play them every week, just a couple of minutes, not so long. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it, there's there's so much talent here. It's just like about you know getting the tactical awareness as well to make the right decisions. But th- their hands are amazing. I keep looking and like, yeah, well, I can do that, so you do it. <laughs> I think as well, what's really interesting when you have someone who plays the game in, in, a, in a different way to you, like almost completely differently to you. It's really interesting to explore how they perceive the game. Yeah, yeah. It's like sometimes you just want to let them go and have at it. It's, it's, it's interesting though, because, you know, some of our players have grown up with so many hours in the field also, you know, they're in academy and they train, mm-hmm. I think, five to eight in the morning, then they go to school and then they're three hours again on the field and just, you know, doing simple stuff, arguably. And I must say, David John has been high performance director here for a bit. He left, but he's done a lot in terms of coach education. And, and I did one coaching course and, of course, every time different philosophies and like what you have to do and, like, I like the, well, you know, your English show, the TGFU is like this buzzword. And our, when I was first in the U.S., I was like, I kept saying, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Teaching games for understanding. I'm like, okay, whatever, whatever, fine. And, you know, automatically you do stuff. But I'm also a firm believer in you can overdo it. So I'm like, I find this balance between if I want to train a certain skill, I can make it game-like but it's still not a game in itself because, well, my philosophy is a bit, if I'm not very good at something, 
And I make it a game, like for winning and losing, because that's game. I'm probably not going to try something new because, yeah, I want to win. So <laughs> then I'm not doing these things that you're asking me to do. And for me, that disconnect, yeah, sometimes sometimes happens. But um, here it's the opposite. It's like literally, or not the opposite, but like it's a lot of skill, skill, skill. And I think we're going more from skill to decision-making based approach. And I think it's just making them do it and then they're fine you know it's just yeah i think also just explaining what the consequence of an approach would would look like and once once people get that then they can actually start to think in that way and adapt their practices to create different outcomes or well not necessarily better or worse outcomes different outcomes no for sure and it's like when i was a player like i said I, i was not nice you know for my coaches i really wasn't because yeah, we do stuff. And I'm like, why are we doing this? Because if you can't explain to me why we're doing this exercise, and sure, there's times that you can say, we just do this for the sake of doing this, fine. You can say that maybe once every two weeks, and that's a lot already. But if you never have an answer, I'm like, yeah, well, I think it's dumb. So then I'm not going to do it because I have another opinion about this. You know, it's, it's really like, I remember, and it, this was stupid running, and we would do it at my first club. And there was no real reason why we would do the running. And then the only thing he ever said was, you have to finish you in four minutes. And I was pretty fit, 3.59 every time. And he's like, you can run faster. It's like, I know, but you tell me four minutes. Then this is going to be four minutes because I think this is dumb. Yeah. So I don't want to do it. I'll do it because you're telling me. And that's where, where I think, yeah, like you said, if, if people understand why you're doing certain things all of a sudden the buy-in is so much greater and if the buy-in is greater they're gonna play with it as well mm-hmm. and for me the buy-in is the fun part where they say look i want to go again can we go again the whole point is that we want them to make more decisions themselves so yeah then you have to have an opinion that's why i'm now asking okay what do you want to train i know i i know what i think you should train but what do you want to do okay how we're going to implement it okay great and then you see that they start thinking about, okay, I need more of this. I need more of this. And then they come to me and say, can we go do individual? I'm like, oh my God, no, I'd rather not. I'm tired, but it's fine. I'll go to the field. And, and, the, but, and the girls are so much fun. You know, they, they have so much fun and they're so appreciative also for, you know, what, what we're doing as a staff that, that makes, you know, your life also a lot more easy. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So cannot complain well thank you it's been um, been lovely chatting and um, i'm glad you're actually able to be out on the pitch no you know everyone i think that is involved in sports it's been a, it's been tough it's been tough for everyone but you know you want to do what you love and i mean it's been busy and but i like to be busy and it's just nice to 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 be able to to have a little bit of normalcy in this uh, in these crazy times it was so brilliant to get to talk to Yannicka. I hope you've really enjoyed her insight. She was one of the best defenders in the world in a really good team. And from that has gone on to coach at the very highest level of the game. And I think her view and outlook based on coaching in some really quite different cultures, but also the ability to identify what is important within performance, regardless of culture, is, is really unique. And I, I really enjoy talking to her. Anyway, that's pretty much it for us now end of the season I've got to say 
I've really enjoyed season two, but also cannot wait for season three. There are some really excellent people lined up. Some of my coaching heroes, both at grassroots and absolute legends of the game. So it'll be really interesting to get their insight into coaching, into people, into hockey, and just listen to their reflections on the game. Thank you all for tuning in and and helping make the Left Field Thinking Podcast Series 2 a relative success, I think. And I hope you tune in again after Christmas in 2021 for Season 3 of the Left Field Thinking Podcast. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.